second Bible reading tonight is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through to 27, which is the whole chapter. Um, that can be found on page 1199 or on the big giant screen beside me. It's titled, The Rights of an Apostle. I am not free. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? You are not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I am not an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgement on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a, a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is, it, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have the right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that 
by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Good evening, everyone. I'm just going to pray before we get stuck in God's word. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, speak your word to uh, your people and that we would be challenged and encouraged by um, what Paul has to say for us tonight. Amen. Have you ever wondered why Christians do things that really don't make much sense? Because the world kind of looks upon Christians and thinks, what a strange bunch. They do things that cost time and money and energy and it's not really for personal benefit. Just take, for example, Parvez. He's a devout Christian who lives in Karachi in Pakistan and is currently building a cross. I have a picture of it here. It's not just any old cross, as you can see, this this stands at 43 metres tall, equivalent to a 14-storey building. So, if you were a Muslim in Karachi, wouldn't you hate to see this thing erected? Wouldn't you just want to tear it down? Because this would be one of the most offensive things in the city. So, Parvez knows this to be the case. So, the cross has been built on a six-metre foundation and is heavily reinforced with steel and concrete. We've got another photo over here so you can see how big it is. Apparently, his neighbours aren't real happy with this. You could say they were rather cross. <laughs> so this has cost him a lot of time and money and energy. And let's face it, he could have done something else with that. But he's made this cross so that other Christians could be encouraged in their faith. It's odd, didn't it? All that into a lump of concrete. But he's not the only oddball. Many of you would know the story of Eric Liddell, the Olympic runner. What he did was costly. Made famous in the Hollywood movie Chariots of Fire, Eric chose not to run in his pet event, the 100 metres, because it was on a Sunday, even though he was practically begged to by his country. But in the turn of events, he managed to win gold in the 400 metres, a race he hadn't originally intended to enter. But... Just one year later, in his athletic prime, he went to China as a missionary. Why would you leave the glory of being an Olympic athlete to invest as a missionary in China? You know, these are just two examples of Christians doing weird, strange, costly things. Now, why, why do they do it? But, of course, it doesn't stop there. Parvez and Eric are not the only ones. Christians have been doing strange, costly things for centuries. 
And it goes all the way back to the first Christians. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul shares of his experience and the cost he was willing to bear as a Christian. So, what were Paul's costs? How did he invest his life? So, Paul is investing in the Corinthian church. He was working hard for them. Yet, he experienced the worst of working conditions. So, he's working for the Corinthians and not receiving any assistance. You know, if you just have a look at verse 4, he isn't receiving any food and drink. And in verse 11, they aren't even paying him. So, this investment is costing Paul a lot. It's costing him time, money, energy, and he's even working after hours to support himself. So, surely Paul is not in his right mind. After all, who, who would do such a thing? Now, if, you, if you workers out there, imagine strolling into work on Monday. The boss has advised you that you're no longer going to get paid. Furthermore, you have to supply your own desk, your equipment. Does it sound like a fair deal? Of course, this also means that after work, you're going to have to start a business at home to support yourself to get the privilege of working. You know, how, how long would you continue under those conditions? So, the Corinthians, they're not valuing Paul, as we saw in verse 1. They didn't even see Paul as an apostle. Paul has to convince them about his resume that he's worth listening to. So, isn't he just mad to stick around? But to understand why Paul was working under these conditions, we need to know a little bit more about the Corinthian culture. So the Corinthians, they treasured great speakers, professional orators who would address many a topic within the city. You know, these are the Socrates, the Winston Churchills, the Martin Luther Kings, renowned spokesmen who had been reimbursed accordingly depending on how skilled and eloquent they were. So this culture also permeated through the church. The congregation wanted and expected to hear articulate teaching to which they would pay the teacher accordingly. So, the Corinthians wanted to pay Paul for his services. But the thing is, Paul refused payment. And because Paul was working for free, the Corinthians essentially adopted the quote of Miguel de Cervantes. That which costs little is less valued. So, because Paul wasn't highly priced... He wasn't highly prized. Because it didn't cost the Corinthians anything to have Paul invest in them, they were undervaluing the cost of his investment. But Paul wants the Corinthians to recognise that he does deserve all that he's entitled for. The gospel workers, they should be treated fairly and provided for and he provides the basis of this argument from verse verse 4. Do you see that he uses examples from the Old Testament, just societal norms, and um, he's also contrasting working conditions against the conditions of other gospel workers. Let's have a look at verse from verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat his grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. 
So Paul, he agrees in the principle that people who work for the gospel should receive a living from the gospel. But he just doesn't think it should apply to him. It's a bit mad, isn't it? Not only is he rightfully entitled to be supported by them, he's refusing any assistance. You can see that in verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we would put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So how do we make sense of Paul? What kind of logic has Paul adopted? Because the cost that Paul was willing to bear was a cost that, say, no economist would make. Economists, they use the term opportunity cost to help explain the cost of no longer being able to choose option two when option one is chosen. For example, yourself. You're at church. The fact that you are here means that you aren't at home watching a movie or you're not hanging out with friends or you're not having a nap ready for the tour later tonight. So for Eric Liddell, not only did he choose to go to China, but by opportunity cost, he he chose not to race in future Olympics because he couldn't do both. So Eric invested in China at the cost of his own international fame and glory. Paul shows us his opportunity cost. The fact that he has chosen to invest freely in the lives of the Corinthians means that he has also chosen this at the cost of his lifestyle. Food, shelter, money, comfort. So the reason why Paul did this, I guess the alternative was conforming to the Corinthian culture and accepting payment. So if, let's play this out, if Paul spoke eloquently and he got paid, what could that imply? That Paul is only preaching for the cash and not for God? That you can only hear about the gospel if you pay for it? That the power of the gospel is due to Paul's speaking abilities? Well, this is just not true. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Jesus, by dying on the cross, removed us from the punishment of sin. And this gift has allowed us to have a relationship with God. So the gospel is a free gift to all. And this is why Paul refuses to receive any benefit that would impact on his preaching of the gospel. So we can see this in verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights and I am not writing this in the hope that you would do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. So we see here that Paul would rather die than to have the gospel marred by his speaking fee. He doesn't want to create a barrier, perceived or otherwise, that you need money to hear the gospel. Paul wants it to be free and accessible to everyone. As we see in verse 18, In preaching the gospel I may make it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. So, we see that Paul chooses to tell people, tell people about the gospel at his own cost. But it's not just a financial cost, is it? He didn't just deny his rights, but he chose to deny his freedoms to win people for Christ. And from verse 19 we can see Paul 
is becoming a Jew to win the Jews, becoming a Gentile to win the Gentiles. As he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul's investment in the Jews means that he will observe the religious customs from his attire to his diet. For example, Paul wouldn't be able to eat bacon. Bit of a rash decision to make, do you think? So, in our day and age, what might that look like? Might be being a hipster to a hipster, soccer player to a soccer player, or a you know, bushwalker to a bushwalker. And so this is the concept of mission, telling the gospel to people where they are at. This is exactly what the Campbells are doing as they currently serve in the Muslim culture. They're adopting appropriate clothing and customs in order to win people for Christ. But the thing is, Paul doesn't have to do this. It's all voluntary. But this is his cost for living a life invested in the Jews. And as we saw, it's not only the Jews, he is also living in a way to win the non-Jews, the Gentiles, so that some may be saved. So, I guess in, in economic terms again, the opportunity cost of investing into the Jews and the Gentiles is costing Paul his freedoms. So, we see the cost to Paul's rights and the cost to Paul's freedoms are denied in order to win people for Christ. But how did he go about it? Guess what was his investment strategy? Does, does Paul adopt fundamental analysis, you know, value investing? I don't think you'll find Paul's investment strategy in the financial review. It's countercultural. It should challenge the way we think about our investments. For Paul, we can get a bit of a gauge as his investment rules. In verse 23, I do this for the sake of the gospel. Verse 18, the gospel is free of charge. Or just his general rule that costs just aren't important. But why would Paul choose this way of life? Why would Eric Liddell head over to China? Why would Parvez build a big cross? It's a bit mad, isn't it? Why would Paul decide that the benefits of the gospel are worth it, as he says in verse 23? I do all this for the sake of the gospel so I can share in its blessings. Why would Eric travel to China at the cost of his future running glory? Why would Parvez even bother? The thing they've got in common is they all think it's worth it. They all think the gospel work is worth the cost. In fact, if any of them were to analyse the opportunity cost of gospel work, they would agree, as far as they were concerned, that second option just pales into comparison. And so they should. The blessing Paul talks about in verse 23 aren't anything to do with food, shelter, money, glory. Earlier in the chapter, he made it quite clear he was not interested in those things. Paul is talking about the blessings after this life is over, the blessings in heaven. Paul is striving for the everlasting crown. Do you see it in verse 24? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So Eric, 
He ran for a gold medal that will perish, but this is a heavenly crown that will not perish. So great, hey? It sounds easy. Just live for the gospel with the cost of food, shelter, family, just like these blokes, we're all set. Let's not fool ourselves. Living counterculturally, living for the gospel is tough. Nowhere here does Paul say it is going to be easy. In fact, he tells us the opposite. He warns us that it takes discipline. As we saw in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. To be a professional runner like Eric, you need to go into strict training. For Eric to even get into Olympic Games, he needed to run hard. Can you imagine the early mornings? Just the practice, ongoing, gut-wrenching exercises. Eric is literally beating his body into submission. So when I look at the life of Paul, I think he's a pretty amazing guy. I couldn't possibly live my life anything like him. But, you know, here I am looking for an excuse. After all, Paul was an apostle, not just some normal Christian like me. For Paul, I like to imagine that the costs that he is bearing aren't really a cost to him. After all, isn't he far too godly to be concerned about trivial things like food, accommodation, marriage? Surely Paul wouldn't have given two hoots if someone said this was the cost for the gospel. Now maybe Paul wasn't really interested in joining the Corinthian speaking circuit and becoming famous because it just wasn't his thing. So do we, do we really think this could be the case? Could this be true? We need to ask ourselves, why would Paul tell us about discipline? Why would Paul warn us? Why would he tell us of his own training regime if he didn't have to practice it? We can't fool ourselves. Paul is not immune to the callings of this world. If Paul didn't want money, if Paul didn't want recognition, would he have needed to discipline himself? Well, of course not. The reason that Paul could endure these costs was because he was disciplined. Paul invested in Christ. Can you see in verse 27, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Daily, Paul endured the callings of this world and daily he continued to make his body his slave so that his desires were not disqualifying him from the prize of the heavenly crown. So it's challenging, isn't it? And this passage brings up some challenging things for us as we serve Christ. Maybe you're like the Corinthians, happy to be served, happy to have people invest in you and serve you without valuing them or providing any assistance. Are you happy to give generously with your time and money to gospel workers? For instance, Chris, John, Sorensons or the Campbells. If we want gospel work to be done, we should be putting our money where our mouth is. The new financial year has just ticked over so this really provides a perfect opportunity to reassess. 
to really interrogate your own generosity and your priorities. Or maybe you could be more like Paul. Paul's investment is intentional. His actions, intentional. His discipline, intentional. All toward the purpose of receiving a crown in heaven. Would you be happy with that goal? If you are, what does it actually look like? Because living as a Christian will come at a cost. As Jesus calls us to be countercultural, it's going to look different. So it might look like sharing the gospel at a cost to yourself, which might be embarrassing. It might harm your reputation. It could look like investing in people, maybe offering hospitality instead of choosing to relax in front of TV. You know, that's a, that's a cost, isn't it? Missing out on MasterChef. Now, this should look like prioritising the gospel in every decision we make, just like Paul has shown us. So let's just imagine. Imagine if our church, our city, our nation lived like this, if we all invested in the gospel and lived for Christ. But the sad reality is it's not really going to happen. We can't expect those without the gospel to live a life worthy of the gospel. So, it's up to us Christians. We're the ones that have the knowledge of what God has done for us. So how would your life change if you lived a life life worthy of the gospel, striving for that heavenly crown? So, is Paul, is Eric, is Parvez, are they superhuman? Are they somehow super spiritual? Enabled to give up more than us? Well, no. These men don't just fall into godliness. It isn't accidental. They have shown discipline in their investment. They haven't turned away from the goal when the costs have got high. They have continued on the path, not running aimlessly. So, as we saw, Paul never said that investing in Christ would be easy. So it requires great discipline and it also requires great cost. The investment for Parvez is costly. The building of the cost of building of this cross has resulted in frequent death threats. It's no doubt caused concern to not only him but his family. The question is, will he live to see this cross completed? Will it continue to stand as an encouragement to Christians in Pakistan undergoing persecution? And the cost for Eric, that was the ultimate sacrifice. In 1941, life in China was becoming so dangerous that the British government advised all British nationals to leave. Eric's family left, but he stayed. In 1943, the mission station on which he was serving was invaded and taken over by the Chinese. Sorry, the Japanese. So this former Olympic champion and now prisoner, he continued to care, to serve and encourage others in the prison camp, all while suffering from his own illness. So hearing of his poor health, Winston Churchill, he secured... Eric's freedom in a prisoner exchange. 
You know what? When Eric was presented with this wonderful news that he would be free, that he would be able to see his family, he refused. And instead renegotiated for a young mother to take his place. It wasn't long after that, I think a couple of months, at the age of 43, he succumbed to his illness and died. So it wasn't a long life, it was cut short. In fact, Eric never even had the opportunity to meet his youngest daughter. So what do you think? Did Eric make a mistake? Did he invest in the wrong thing? Should he have taken Winston Churchill's offer of freedom? Should he have never gone to China in the first place? While Eric was investing in the Chinese, he was asked a question. Do you ever regret the decision to leave behind the fame and glory of athletics? He responded. It's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes. But I'm glad I'm at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts far more at this than the other. So this reflects exactly what we've heard from Paul tonight. Like Eric, could you say that your investment counts far more than the other? Amen.